The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Speaking of the NASDAQ, we are live from the NASDAQ market site in New York's Times Square, and this is Fast Money. Hi, everybody. I'm Brian Sullivan. Your traders on the desk tonight are Tim, City Bike Seymour, Brian Kelly, Karen Feinerman, and Guy Adami. All right, coronavirus concerns taking down Apple and the market with it, but Walmart warned and the stock barely budged. Is the market saying the worst may be behind us? Plus, Tesla to $1,200? Why, one longtime bear now has a new bull case for the electric automaker. That'll make your eyes pop. And check out this mystery chart. Huh. Almost tripling since its public debut just four months ago. Hmm. Who is this? Hmm. Why are they so hot? Why are there so many question marks on the graphics? We're going to find out the answer the to all of those exactly. Riddle me this. All right, good evening and welcome. Let's start the program with the big stock story and market story, really, of the day. And that is Apple giving a stark warning on revenue due to the impact of what else? The coronavirus. The iPhone manufacturer tumbling nearly 2% today, but finishing well off its lows. Go to Josh Lippin in San Francisco with more on what exactly Apple said and the reaction. Josh. So that's right, Brian. Apple did finish in the red here today, but maybe not hit as hard as some had expected. Many analysts weighing in here and concluding that this is a short-term challenge, meaning they think that demand for Apple products simply now shifts from the March quarter to future quarters. On the other hand, listen, there's still a lot of uncertainty and a lot of questions. How long does this outbreak really continue? How long before Chinese consumers feel like it's safe to go back out and shop? Uh, remember, Apple only has seven out of 42 stores that have been reopened right now, and even those have limited hours. And when will manufacturing facilities fully ramp back up? This is the second time in two years Apple has cut guidance. Remember, last January it did the same, but since then, we know investors have piled into this name, betting on a stabilizing iPhone franchise, services, wearables, and 5G. Stock has surged more than 1%. 100%. Of course, it's not just Apple. Many companies depend on China as both a key consumer market and a critical link in their supply chains. Bernstein's Tony Sakanagi highlights other companies with significant exposure to this outbreak. Names he highlights in his coverage universe, HP, Tesla, Dell, and HPE. What about Apple's big rival, Samsung? Tech analyst Patrick Moorhead says it sources components from China, too. His point being, it's not completely insulated either. Back to you guys. All right, Josh, look to Josh. Thank you very much. All right. So we know the stock fell. Okay, but Guy Adami, let's let's be clear. Let's be clear. Apple is still up nearly 9% this year 
Coronavirus has now been going on for the better part of a month. Did you take any sort of comfort or yeah, solace yeah. in the way it traded? You have to. I mean, if you had said to me, what's Apple going to do on Tuesday with this news? I said that's probably down five and a half, six percent. Broader markets down 350, 400 uh, Dow points. And here we are. Stock was down not even two percent. And then you say, well, maybe the supplier's going to get whacked. You look at Cor- Cor- uh, Corvo, only down 2%. Skyworks, which I think gets almost 50% of their revenue from Apple, down maybe percent and a half, 2%. These are minor moves given the huge run not only these stocks have had, but the broader market has had. So you have to be encouraged. Now, quickly, I'll say this. I still think 280 is a level that Apple needs to revisit, given what's going on in the world and the potential for itself in the broader market. But just today, you have to be very encouraged by the price. Yeah, I mean, bad news, good price action. It's the old trader saw. That's when you want to buy it. So if you're an aggressive trader, I think you can buy Apple today. Use today's low as your stopout point. If you're not that aggressive, wait for the breakout. But I think this also tells you what the kind of the psychology of the market is right now, which is, okay, coronavirus bad, but it is likely a temporary phenomenon. And these it just means that earnings are going to be pushed to the next quarter or to the next quarter after that. And so investors are saying, I don't necessarily want to sell and wait, add into that. Every central bank in the world is probably going to open up liquidity spigots again. So you combine those two things, temporary coronavirus plus liquidity. That's why this, I think this market is staying elevated. But I, you know, I have to, look, I have to say, uh, hold on a second, because I, I agree with everything you guys said. And when you consider we do this all the time, it's, it's 11.5% of the triple Qs. If you look at the XLK between Microsoft and, 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 and Apple, you've, you know, kind of 30%. You, the, the dynamic here is Apple, more than most tech companies, gets a greater percentage of their revenues from greater China. Uh, greater China is mainland, Hong Kong, Taiwan. Uh, and if you think about the quarter that gave everyone the reason to, to bang the table or to be emphatic about their Apple calls, you actually had 14.8% of your revenues from China. And that was up three percent. And the previous four fiscal quarters, it had actually been down. So, to, you know, and I, I realize you guys are talking about market dynamics. They couldn't be clearer. And I think you're right. But uh, I do think we have to think about Apple. And I do think Apple for the next few quarters, there will be a hangover from this, even if the coronavirus ended tomorrow, which it, it's sadly not going to. I hear what you're saying, but I got to say, I don't fully agree. I think that a lot of the Apple story is 5G, right? And I don't think the coronavirus really changes 5G at all. I think it was a latter half of this year's story to start. So, I mean, to me, it's not surprising that Apple announced they would miss. It would have been shocking had they announced that they're not going to miss, right? right? So um, the the part that was actually more impressive to me, you brought up, was the, the SMH. I mean... That was a really the semiconductor. And by yeah, the, the way, the Nasdaq, the, the right. Nasdaq 100 finished yeah. higher, yeah. Yeah, up which is comforting a little bit, I think, given what your your point is, Tim. Something that we, you know, I've sort of beat that dead horse a bit, which is the weighting of Apple, and yet the no, Nasdaq 100 went went up. I mean, fractionally, yeah. but right. it went up. It's extraordinary, and 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 to be clear, also uh, the the. The, the platform companies in big cap tech, mega cap tech are the ones that have been outperforming. They, the rest of tech's really not. And, and, and so if you, if you look at what Apple is, as far as I'm concerned, it's a platform company, even though it's a hardware company. Uh, we're pushing the company higher on 5G, also and on services. But uh, I, I do think you have to be somewhat wary about liquidity dynamics. And yes, passive investing works until it doesn't. Um, this is a number that everybody said would have been something that bottom-up investors would be knocking this company down after a record run. 
By, by any measures for this company, it's been a record run for Apple since June of last year. And I don't think you can say in one day of trading that, you know what, no big deal. Yeah, I think it's fair. And it's interesting, Brian, you used the word comforting. And I understand why you would say that. But I could push back and take the other side and say it's actually somewhat disconcerting that the market doesn't react to any bad news whatsoever. Tim just alluded to in terms of passive investing. I mean, that's great. Markets go up every day regardless until they don't. And the longer the markets look past all the bad news that we've seen, I think the more worried you should actually I'm going to push back on your pushback. Push oh, push push I want someone to push back on my pushback on the pushback. Because here's the thing. If someone's you, falling over. If, yeah. Exactly. It's a, if you need one of these, uh-huh. so I'm holding up an iPhone for everybody on the radio. Yeah. I'll push you back. If you need one of these, you're going to get it. I understand. Now, you may not get it this quarter. You may not get it in the second quarter. But if you need a phone or a computer or you want AirPods, you're going to get them. Maybe this, the market just realizes, okay, the fourth quarter is not going to be good. But everybody's already said, ignore the first quarter pretty much universally when those numbers come out. We've had 173, I think it is, I heard on CNBC this morning, companies reference coronavirus already. So those sales will, maybe it'll have a monster yeah. second quarter. I'm not it, sure where we, what your pushback is, though. Again, right. pushback, so you push him back on him, but actually it sounded like you were on the same side. Because he said that he didn't find it that comforting because the price action didn't work. And I thought maybe the market just thinks, as opposed to selling 15 million iPhones this quarter, and I'm making that number up, they'll sell 30 million next quarter. Right. I'm looking at a more broader, not necessarily Apple specific, but the fact that the market in general looks past any semblance of bad news. And quickly, you use the word need. Nobody needs these phones. I'm, I'm hard-pressed to find a person on the planet that needs it. We want them. And, you know, it talks to the strength of the consumer again. I'm not so certain. Never underestimate the consumers want to spend. Should they be spending as a bigger but, product? But you problem. guys could, you should just apply this, and girls, you guys should, and girls should apply this argument to the entire market then. Because, in fact, if you're, you're making this case that Apple's, maybe you're not, that Apple is separate from the rest of the pack. Because every other day when we're talking about coronavirus, unless we think coronavirus doesn't matter at all, I don't see why Apple, Brian's argument that you delay your purchase, but eventually you're going to buy that Apple phone is the same for anything. It's the same thing that I was right. arguing about casinos. Except the restaurant. Be- no, a casino you lose, you, you bet every yeah. day. Or yeah, right. 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 Gone. You're not, you, you don't go back and eat in time. Right, but it goes, it goes back to whether or not you think this is a temporary disruption or whether or not you think that this is something larger. And so if you're in the camp that you think this is something larger and the economy, the global economy was weak already, then, yeah, you well, want to be selling you're the, you're the panelist. You're supposed to answer the question. My point was, with the same point I said at the top of the show, you buy Apple here and you can buy the market until proven otherwise. We can get to bubble levels. We can get to crazy valuations. That's my point. If everybody wants to turn on the spigot, I mean, look at Europe, right? Their, their economy, Germany's economy is terrible. They can't do fiscal stimulus, so they're going to have to print more money. China is already printing more money. They're going to have to do more. Most of of Southeast Asia will likely do that. That is all going to spill into stocks in a direct and indirect way. So until that dynamic stops, it's really hard to say that the fundamentals matter. All right. Good discussion there on Apple. Now to stock number two in a company bigger than Apple, by the way, in terms of sales and another Dow component, Walmart. Company posting its biggest earnings miss since all the way back in August of 2015, but the stock didn't react. In fact, it closed a few cents higher. So what gives? Courtney Reagan is here now. 
How many times have you been at the NASDAQ I'm, today? Twice today. Twice today. With a little stock exchange in between. You know? Yeah, you've really, all the hot you, spots. You, you've been on Seymour City Bike. Anyway, we're glad to see you. Good, great interview, by the way, Thank with the you. CEO today. What, what's the takeaway after the day from what you heard from Walmart? Yeah, Brian, I mean, I think the takeaway is really that the long-term strategy that Walmart laid out is still intact despite the weakness we saw in the fourth quarter. Yeah, there were categories that were weaker than Walmart planned during the holidays, but it's not really a signal of a fundamental shift in anything like consumer spending or Walmart's strategy of blending digital and physical together. Plus, you know, the stock didn't get shocked with any big coronavirus impact like you've been talking about because Walmart's 400-plus stores in China have remained open. Some of the hours are a little tighter, yes, and sales are leaning more towards food, so there could be a margin hit there. Deliveries, though, are still happening. And then on the supply chain side, there really hasn't been a big impact so far. Here's what Walmart CEO Doug McMillan told me. But in the U.S., about two-thirds of what we sell is made in the U.S.A. The other third doesn't all come from China. And we've been acting to buy goods that are already here, made in the U.S.A., already in the country to try and offset some of the things that we might otherwise feel pressure from. So it's too difficult to call right now exactly what will happen in the quarter. But we've said because of what's happening on the ground in China, our Chinese business, not the rest of the world, we do expect to have some impact, but we're not currently putting that into our guidance. It's not even in the guidance so far. So in the U.S., comparable sales did grow just under 2%. That was below expectation, but that's a comp that most retailers really are pining for right now. Plus, it's a continuation of really a multi-year growth trend for U.S. sales. Now, digital sales, those grew 35% in the quarter. Today, Walmart said U.S. e-commerce sales will grow 30% this year, and global net e-commerce sales will near $50 billion, Mm. the first time they've really given us a number like that. Walmart's online business has really become pretty sizable pretty quickly both through acquisitions as well as through organic growth. And yes, Amazon looms large online, but Amazon has struggled with grocery. That's been Walmart's strength in-store and with its growing online grocery business. So it's very fascinating when you talk about these two players because they have different strengths, they have different weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And if you look at total revenue, I mean, Walmart's is still way bigger than Amazon. It's amazing. Uh, Courtney, stick around. Karen, I mean, I heard Kramer talk about it this morning. Everyone's piling on the actual number, but e-commerce was up 30-some percent. Pretty incredible number. It is, although it's expensive. It's expensive revenue for them, right? They talk that's the margin issue that they're weighing as they build their, their business. Here's the thing that I'm sort of maybe you can answer. Yeah. A lot of retailers have talked about, well, it's a shorter Christmas. Okay, which everyone knew, right? That right, exactly. For quite some time, totally, right? totally. And so was Walmart already <laughs> fully the stock discounting it, even if the even if the estimates didn't come down because they announced, you know, same thing. Yeah, I, I After think Target, so. I would have thought. I mean, when we heard from Target, I think it was a bit of a shock because they were sort of the first big box retailer to give us numbers. And Walmart never actually specifically broke out the holiday sales. They won't really even detail a big day like a Black Friday or a Cyber Monday, other than saying the season was relatively strong with some of these weak points. But it was funny because Walmart was weak in apparel, but that's where Target was strong. Walmart was strong in electronics. Target was weak there. So I don't even know if you can count that as an overall category. But I think because there was so much focus on this go-forward story that we kind of moved past that a little bit. And to your previous point about the expense of online growth, Walmart did say today that they expect the online losses to either be flat to this year or slightly lower. And so I think that was something that was sort of a bit of a relief to a number of shareholders, even if they're somewhat changing their digital strategy and how they're going about it because they went through that big period of acquisitions. They're not doing that so much, at least not right now. 
But that was a genius acquisition of Jet. I mean, I think that you talked about, what's his name, Mark, Mark Laurie? Laurie. That's right. I mean, you, you look at a guy like that, and my wife worked in retail and consumer products, and still does for 20-some years. Brick-and-mortar retailing from a management perspective and e-commerce, you may be selling the same product, mm. but the management skill set is completely different. Totally. It's a totally different animal. And they're learning, and they bought some of that knowledge. Yeah, they did. They really did. And I think that that is what investors have become comfortable with is some of the risks that Walmart is taking. They're sort of smart risks, and they're not they're not too damaging if it doesn't work. For example, just like the Jet Black. I think it got a lot of headlines when Jet only operated for a couple years. It was only in New York and never expanded, and now it's shuttering. But... Doug McMillan told me today, we actually learned an awful lot about conversational commerce. We knew that was a really high-touch business. It was always going to be hard to scale. We needed to experiment with it, and we, we figured out a lot of learnings. Check that box, move on. That's not a failure for us, and we know a lot of these things are going to stumble, but as long as we don't repeat those mistakes and they're not too expensive, they're worth it. Look, we're lucky to have Courtney here breaking down all the retail that she does. It's amazing. This is my... These would be my two concerns with Walmart. One concern has been there for a while, valuations. Trading close to 23 times next year's numbers. Big market multiple in terms of where the broader market is, in terms of where they are historically. It's expensive. The other thing, that a huge inventory build year over year. Now, maybe they're anticipating something. I don't know. But if, that, you know, if they don't see the back-end demand based on this inventory build, margins are going to get crushed. So I would be concerned here. Well, I, I think Courtney really also hit on what, to me, is the key point. It's, everything we've just said is about a company. It's all about the multiple you're willing to pay for it in any company. We're willing to pay a higher multiple for Walmart. We're not going to give it an Amazon multiple, but we're certainly not going to give it a Walmart of yesteryear. So 30 uh, percent where losses are either, or, were either flat or there are lower losses on the business that gets them that multiple is so much more important right now. And so Walmart's gotten back to also competing on price, which they can destroy everybody. And it means that it's less important about the margins. It kind of sounds a little bit like Amazon, doesn't it? So I, I think this is all about multiple. And I think this is what you're willing to pay for Walmart. And it's clear investors are paying a lot more for it. Isn't it amazing that Walmart's kind of become like the underdog in this story? I mean, I know, it's funny. Walmart, you know, I mean, it's like, wow, I got to fight and scrap. All right. right. Moving on to another big retail story. And, Courtney, please, we're begging you stick around. <laughs> Macy's taking a deep dive after S&P cut the department store's credit rating down to junk. So the company's turnaround efforts may actually come up short. Shares falling more than 3%. They're down 35% a year. Karen Feinerman, the market cap is now under $5 billion. Any reason to own Macy's? Well, I don't own it. I, they're, they're, that might be the reason um, right there. But I, I, I don't know. There's sort of a disconnect here. I know is they don't have a debt problem in the near term. What's astounding and has been for a while is this is a company that pays a dividend of nine, nine plus, right? So w- that is a giant disconnect. I mean, maybe they should cut that dividend buy back their own debt, right? I, I don't... I, when we just talked to Jeff Gannett, the CEO of Macy's, a couple weeks ago, I asked him that question, are you going to keep the dividend? And he was very emphatic, saying, no, I mean, yes, we're keeping the dividend. We're, we're not cutting it. That there, There's really no change to that strategy. And then sort of was talking about this bigger shift in this Polaris strategy, which S&P is basically saying, yeah, it might be the right thing, but it's in a really tough sector. And that seems to be a bigger reason for the downgrade, not the debt. But I agree, it is a little confusing what's going on here. Yeah, I'm trying to look at their debt. I mean, their debt looks to be about $5 billion, so the market cap and the debt are about the, about the same. And they've paid down about $3.5 billion in debt over the last four years. They have a, they have a really decent cash flow. So I, I don't – this is serious and a It's always the bull case is the, re, is the real estate, right? Yes. I mean, everyone says, well, they own all this real estate, and it's going to be – So was Sears. 
Yeah, I'm it, saying it, it was a good theory. I'm, I'm just saying it's not a bold case. That's I mean, the bold I think it's going to go to zero. Tell me you've heard it. I deserve that, yeah. by the way. <laughs> Karen is not espousing going out and buying companies for a dividend yield because that's not right. what she does. Right. Um, but I, and so a 9% dividend yield, you can lose half of that very easily in Macy's on any given day because that's the volatility in the stock. Um, the company does not necessarily have a debt issue. Um, it's got a same-store sales growth issue, and it has none. Um, and it's actually a contracting top line. So uh, I think the company's interesting here. I think today's announcement is a non-event on some level for people that were looking at this stock. Nothing new happened today, in my view. The one thing I, I think about Macy's often is we have seen the department store sh sector shrink over time, both in the number of players and even the stores themselves. And we looked at a name like Best Buy and thought, why do we need a consumer electronics store? We've got Amazon. You can buy it online. But Best Buy figured out a way to come out of that a stronger, better company. I just wonder, is it possible that we do have room for maybe one department store, even if it looks very different than today? And could, could that be Macy's? Just a question. A good question. Know. Courtney, thank you. You've got to stop showrooming uh, at Best Buy for what you're going to buy. On, <laughs> That's, you first of all, all day. you say you that to all... me, you know it's Melissa Lee does that. Mel goes in there with her little notebook and takes notes, looks at everything, then goes <laughs> home, and, she and she's watching right now. She does all her homework. It's not me. You just showroom the undergarments. No comment. Oh, right on deck. A Groupon pylon. Shares crashing more than 20%. We're going to tell you why. And what in the world is going on with gold? It's a good question for Guy. Soaring again. Seven-year highs? Is it telling us we need to be a little more nervous? And as a reminder, you can always catch us live on the go on the CNBC app. We are live from New York's Times Square. Stick around. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently, and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. All right, welcome back. We're going to make a prediction. Mm, okay. Groupon is going to be your disaster du jour tomorrow. Shares crashing 25.5% right now. Results disappointing investors. And Groupon says it will exit its goods business. Rahel Solomon back at CNBC HQ with more. Rahel. Hi, Brian. Yes, so an after-hours plunge for online marketplace Groupon after it resumed trading at 4.30, as you mentioned, opening down about 25%, still holding near those levels. So this was after a weaker-than-expected quarter. Groupon missed on earnings and revenue. The company also announcing it's exiting the online goods category, first in North America by the third quarter and then globally by the end of the year. That's according to the release. Groupon says it will instead focus on the local experiences market, which it says is worth $1 trillion. The company stating our 2019 goods category performance, particularly in the fourth quarter, has made it increasingly clear that we are not well positioned in a saturated retail market. The company also proposing a reverse stock split, hoping to boost the price of its stock. If approved by shareholders, the reverse stock split would be effective in the second quarter, and the ratio for the stock split would be between 1 for 10 and 1 for 12. We also got a leadership announcement. Interim CFO Melissa Thomas will permanently take over that role. And Groupon is adding two new members to its board of directors, Helen Bade and Valerie Mosley. And Brian, 
at a time when we discuss diversifying boards quite a bit. And note, both members are women, of course, and one is also a woman of color. I'll send it back to you. All right, Rahel, thank you very much. All right, um, Karen, stocks, we don't, I know you guys don't talk about the stock much. Yeah. I've been listening for viewing for years. I never heard you mention it. Stock's up 27% this year. This is going to wipe out the gains for the year. What do you, what do you make a group on? I mean, there's a lot to hate in this release, right? A giant revenue miss. EPS was not so, the giant revenue miss, that's a problem. I hate when a company is trying to restructure their business. Talk about, really, we're getting it wrong here. Um, so big restructuring of their business, which they should do. But the worst thing is the reverse stock split. It is never, never a good sign. Like, if you knew only one piece of information about a stock, a reverse stock split is, I mean, they're just... It's a ridiculous thing to do. They're sort of grasping at straws. Yeah. Stay away. It's, yeah, it's, it's, that's a terrible thing. If you, if you hear somebody's doing a reverse stock split, it is only, it is only for appearance. It has nothing to do with the company. And clearly this company, by their own admission, is, is uh, mis, mis, uh, misfooted on this. They are just, they are not good at all. I wouldn't buy it even if I had a coupon for it or a Groupon. <laughs> Midway through Q4, it became abundantly clear we were not competing in goods. I mean, that, 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 look, honesty is, is important in this world, and so you know, commendable. Um, but it, it really doesn't send a signal that management really knows where their business is. And so um, it, was, you know, it was a tough quarter, and as everyone has pointed out, it's taken them back to that 220, 225 level, which has proved to be an important level for the stock, and buyers have made money from that point. That's exactly the point. 220-ish was the low in December. I think you go back three and a half, four years, and it was a prior low. So to Tim's point, you have a big day in terms of volume tomorrow, and if you want to play stock market, it might not be a bad thing to trade against 220, given the size of the move we're going to see tomorrow. But 220 is sort of your line in the sand. Okay, yeah, tough go there. Hold rating in general. By the way, the, the they said their experiences business could be worth a trillion dollars or, or global the market, experience. Yeah. The market is yeah. So if there's eight and a half billion people, it's a what $125 a person. Look at you. All year. Every yes. human All year? being on the planet. To, yeah. For experiences? For experiences. I mean, but every low, human being on the planet is going to pay $125 a year to do something. Well, yeah. we're very U.S. centric, I think, which is. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I did yeah. not do that math in my head. I used the calculator and I kept lopping off zeros. Yeah, because yeah, he. Had I mean, you, you go to you go to one Ranger game, by the way, competing hard for a playoff spot, and you spend a lot more than one hundred twenty-five dollars. So, I, yeah, it's New York City. All right, there is a lot more fast money coming your way. Here's what's up next. Apple taking a big bite out of the markets today, but is Tuesday's sell-off a sign of something more rotten to come? And later, chilling with Netflix. Why one analyst says the stock is a 10-year dream. We've got all that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your 
your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks finishing the day overall, yes, in the red. Dow down 165, but the NASDAQ was higher. And those markets that did finish lower finished well off their lows. The Dow, though, did hand in its third straight losing session, but it was not all bad. Like we noted, the NASDAQ eking out a slight gain to finish at a new record high. One big bright spot in the market today, and really recently, the metals. If you've not been paying attention, you need to. Gold, silver, palladium, all posting gains. In fact, palladium hitting a new all-time high. And check out the gold miners as well. They were on fire today. The GDX, which is the biggest ETF focusing on the gold miners, surging led by big gains in Barrick and Newmont Mining. BK, your take on the big metals breakout. I think it's exactly what we talked about at the top of the show with central bank liquidity. That's what the market is telling you. That's what this move is. Investors, macro investors are saying, listen, there is going to be a lot more of fiat currency out there. And you're actually even start seeing it start to spill over to the digital gold market in Bitcoin. They're all trading together on the same theme. As we come out of this, or if we go into recession, there is going to be a lot more paper money out there, and you want things with a fixed supply, yep. and that's what's happening here. Okay, I want to get Guy's take on this in a second, but right now we've got some breaking news on Boeing. Phil LeBeau joining us by phone. Phil, what do you got? Brian, this has to do with uh, the 737 MAX. Boeing announcing that it will start doing inspections on more than 400 of the 737 MAXs that have been built but not yet delivered. These are the maxes that are parked in Renton, Moses Lake, a number of other areas uh, out west. Um, essentially what's going on is that inspections of some of these aircrafts revealed that they found what's known as foreign object debris in some of those maxes. And as a result, they have said, we are going to do inspections on every one of these maxes to make sure that they also do not have foreign object debris. The importance here is that FOD, or foreign object debris, you don't want that floating around in a plane. It's, it could be a screw. It could be a nut that was uh, left in there by the team when they were building the plane. You don't want that floating around inside any aircraft because it could cause a short circuit, some other issues uh, with the wiring inside the plane. So, again, Boeing is going to be doing inspections on all of the 737 MAXs, more than 400, that are built but not yet delivered. The important question here, Brian, that I asked Boeing, and they say emphatically it does not change the company's projection for recertification and ungrounding of the 737 MAX, they still expect that to happen by the middle of this year, even with these inspections taking place. Okay, Phil, we're all kind of looking at each other around the table here. Um, you're talking about foreign object debris. I don't want to put you on the spot, but is this maybe stuff that is just time and, and wear and tear may have resulted in, or is there any kind of suspicion this is... Uh, manufacturing flaws? What are we potentially talking about here? No, it's not because of wear and tear. This is more the case of in the course of manufacturing an aircraft, sometimes they will do inspections throughout the process. And if you go to the Boeing plant, there are signs everywhere saying, do not allow foreign object debris. It's the same situation at Airbus. And this is a case where, as they've been doing their routine inspections of the MAXs that are parked, uh, they found foreign object debris in some of the aircraft that they inspected. So being prudent and being 
safety conscious because you've got to be now more than ever with the MAX. They're just going to do inspections on all of these aircraft before they're delivered. Hey, Phil, it's Tim. How, to the point, how, how common is foreign object debris? And if this was not Boeing and this was another airline manufacturer, would this be news? Uh, it wouldn't be news in case you found it inside uh, an aircraft that's coming off an assembly line. Uh, I'm sure that occasionally they do come across foreign object debris. Um, the concern here is that you want to find it before you deliver these aircraft. And the fact that they are now going to be doing these inspections, if word got out that they were doing these inspections, people would immediately say, aha, here's another issue. And what Boeing is doing here is saying, look, we found some foreign object debris. We want to make sure that all of these planes are 100% clean when we finally start delivering them, starting potentially by the middle of this year and then moving into the fall and early next year. All right, Phil Lebeau there with the breaking news on Boeing. Phil, thank you very much. Uh, Tim, I'll come back to you. I mean, it was a good question you asked. I mean, how common? It's kind of an odd story. Does it does it sort of muddle the Boeing story even further? Well, uh, you know, Phil's done a great job reporting on Boeing, and there's a lot of different headlines. Some of them really are important from a news event perspective and the evolution of the story, but they're not necessarily going to affect the stock. But it is very important, the timeline, that you get back to production. So if there's some sense that this could push it back even more, it, it's absolutely material. Um, it sounds like this is not material, and, and I do think that uh, you know a lot of the headlines we've had with Boeing, including the company going out of their way to say they're going to be extra thorough, they don't know they don't know why. The, a lot of that is geared towards the regulators. They wanted to uh, make a certain you know, posture in, in the eyes of the FAA. So um, this news is very important. I don't think it changes anything in terms of the timeline. 365 is a level that, if you recall, when this entire thing started, that's where it broke down to. I mean, the stock very quietly is up probably 10, 11 percent since that January low. And maybe people are saying, you know, we want to get ahead of this prior to recertification this summer in terms of getting along the stock. But, you know, I did 335 or so where it is to me, it's just sort of muddled in the middle dead money. Can we bring up a two or five year chart, guys, of Boeing? I want to make a point is that if you look at Boeing, I understand the last year has been dominated guy by the 737 Max. But if you look back two years, look at that chart. Stock for a year didn't do anything. It, it wasn't like Boeing was a big money maker for investors even prior to these. You had that huge run up to, I think it was the 440 level or so. I mean, that was a monster move in terms of context with the broader market. And it's given, obviously, 35 percent of it back or so. But you're right. Over the course of the, the timeline you just outlined, it's basically flat. I think people are not taking into account the bull story, which is their aerospace defense sector, which I think is undervalued. But until this gets sorted out, which I don't think we're anywhere close to, I think you leave it alone. I, I think that's the risk here. I mean, they've missed every, not missed, but there's been multiple times where they said, you know what, this is going to come back in service in the spring, in the summer, in the fall. And now everybody assuming it's going to come again. And those deadlines come and go. And it may not be up to Boeing, the company. It is likely up to Bo the regulator. And they're not going to let anything go. So I would not have a lot of confidence. I don't have a lot of confidence in these timelines. Okay, there. Good stuff, guys. On Boeing, the breaking news, Phil, if you're out there, thank you very much. All right, coming up, Tesla triumphs yet again while one of Wall Street's biggest bears is raising his price target today. Later, how options traders say that you should play Zoom video. Zick gears up for earnings. We're back in two. The Nasdaq. 
All right, welcome back. We've got a news alert on the coronavirus. Meg Terrell now with the latest numbers. Meg. Hey, Brian. The numbers coming from Hubei province, the epicenter of the outbreak in China. New cases, they're reporting at 1,693 uh, and an additional 132 deaths. That does mark a milestone, bringing the total death toll to more than 2,000. Uh, total cases uh, now uh, more than 74,000, almost 74,500, guys. We have seen uh, case counts declining, new case counts declining over the past few days. Uh, waiting to see a few more days worth of data to see if that continues, guys. But the 2,000 uh, deaths, a new milestone. Brian? Okay, Meg Terrell. Guys, quickly, we're going to go to break. But, I mean, it, it, we're sort of talking about how Apple and things may look like they're winding down. Those types of new cases, uh, the pace is slow, but th that's a lot of cases. Yeah. This isn't over. This is. But the market doesn't seem to care. So, I mean. Because the Fed's incentive. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure the reasons why. I think that has a lot to do with it. Passive investing has a lot to do with it. But I think there are a lot of people that are probably very surprised that, you know, three weeks later, we're still talking about this as often as we are. Again, I think it continues to get worse before it gets better, unfortunately. I, I think there's, there's a safe haven dynamic, especially it, when you look at equity flows, too. And I think the U.S. markets are going to be that. I think you've seen flows out of Asia into the U.S. Um, but there's no question that, that, you know, the minute if you started to see a change in the tone in terms of the virus in this country, I think markets would do something very, very different. By the way, Goldman Sachs has a list of the 20 American companies with the greatest exposure to China and and. In that basket, which I follow, the stocks are up 7% on average, more than the overall market. I mean, the market literally has not factored this in. All right, by the way, tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern time, of course, right here on CNBC, the latest in our special series, Outbreak Coronavirus. Meg, the latest numbers, more insight into what exactly is happening on the ground in China and the impact around the world. Again, tune in tonight, 7 p.m., right after Jim at Mad Money. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back. Tesla taking off today on the back of not one, but two big analyst calls. Number one, Morgan Stanley up against price target on the stock. Analyst Adam Jonas laying out a new bull case scenario where Tesla could hit a 1,200 a share. Morgan Stanley, though, sticking by its underweight rating on the stock, and it's could hit. Separately, Bernstein raising its price target on Tesla to $730 from $325. Analyst Tony Sakanagi says... It is finally time to start believing the company can sustainably be profitable. So, do we actually became, believe either one of these calls? I mean, and, and I want to, Morgan Stanley is not wildly bullish. They've got the super high target if certain things happen. Yeah, I'm not sure that's a super high target the way the stock's traded over the last couple of weeks. We could reach that in a couple trading days. But I think if you look at all of these calls, it's exactly what the market has been pricing in. Uh, Six months ago, a year ago, you thought Tesla might even go out of business. They're going to have a cash problem. They're going to have to raise money. Now they're actually profitable. And so that's what the market, that's what surprised the market. That's where we are. These calls, they're great analysts. But I think what they're, they're looking in the rearview mirror on this. Going forward, what you have to look, look at is can Tesla now make that transition into the car company that everybody thinks it is. I still think this name trades as kind of a story stock. It's more than a car company. It's an electric batter company. It's a way to play the decarbonization of the electric grid. That's why this stock trades so crazily, not because people think it's a car company, because if you value it as a car company, as everybody on this desk has said, it's way overvalued. So if you value like a car company, it actually is, is well ahead of Volkswagen if you look at 2030 and where they expect them to be. But if you listen to Adam Jonas, uh, again, and a lot of analysts are under a lot of pressure to make 
adjustments to their numbers. So what Adam has done is he's taken his weighted average cost of capital, his WAC, from 13% down to 11% in his DCF. If you do that, you get significantly better numbers. And that's why sometimes people are, are, are skeptical about DCF. And he's also taken his auto deliveries by 2030 up to 2.1 or 2.2 million. I forget uh, which number. But, but that ultimately, that's also a function of where the company said they were going to be. Remember, the company came in at 367000 annual, which was at the bottom end of their range. And they said, we're going to be north of 500000 So if analysts have to follow that, and, or if they do, they can get to some of these numbers by 2030. Obviously, I've been bearish. I've been wrong. Um, I do think that a lot of the analysts feel the pressure to actually step in there and find a scenario where they can raise prices. And by the way, it's scenario analysis. He hasn't even, I mean, this is not what Adam does. I'm not picking on Adam. Adam's a great analyst. He comes on the show and does a great job. Um, but the scenario analysis allows you to kind of cover yourself across the board. By the way, the kind of an irony today in Germany, you see the Reuters news? They're trying to, Tesla's trying to build a gigafactory four in Berlin, but a court halted the because they're trying to cut down too many trees to build the yes. gigafactory so they're going to ironic. stay yeah. on because yeah. they're trying to cut down too many trees. All right, still ahead, why options traders are betting that Zoom video will move even higher when it reports its results in a couple of weeks. We're going to bring you the trade you need to hear. Plus, let's take a look at our Kramer cam. There's Jim. He is sitting down with Ari Emanuel, the CEO of talent agency Endeavor. Catch the full interview coming up at the top of the hour, of course, on Mad Money. Stick around. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. One of 2019's hottest tech IPOs is surging today. Zoom video closing up more than 6%. Coronavirus fears apparently continue to make the idea of video conferencing a more attractive option than person-to-person meetings benefiting stocks like Zoom. The next catalyst on the horizon for the company might be earnings. Company reporting results in just a couple of weeks. And over in the options market, one trader is betting that could lead to a double-digit surge higher. Options play chief strategist Tony Zhang is over at the Plasma to break it down. Tony, what's the trade? So, Brian, Zoom, this is a product that I use almost every single day, and the options trade fairly actively. Almost 15,000 contracts a day are traded, and today we saw about four times that, 63,000 contracts. Now, like you said, this... This stock reports earnings in about a couple of weeks. It's implying about a 13% move currently on earnings, which is right in line with roughly the 12% we've seen over the last three quarters. And we saw some pretty bullish activity today. So the trade that we saw across the tape earlier today was 786 contracts of the March, 5th, March 6th weekly options, 105 call options, traded for an on average about $3.40. Now, this break-even price here is at $108.40, which is 13% above the current price of that stock which is a pretty incredible trade. If we look at the chart itself, this stock is up 40% on the year. And this trader laid out almost a quarter million dollars in premium to bet that this stock is going to rally another 13% to the upside on earnings. That's a pretty, bearish, pretty bullish trade going into earnings. All right, Tony Zhang looking there at Zoom Video. Tony, thank you very much. I wonder, Tim, is this one of those stories that's getting this sort of subsidiary trade because of coronavirus? And you wonder, you know, when coronavirus goes away and it will, hopefully it's sooner than later, people forget about this sort of, oh, they're going to video conference more thing. Well, it's up 41 percent year to date. Um, and, you know, if you ask me what Zoom was, I'd tell you it was a, a TV show from the <laughs> 70s, um, which no one else understands. But I, I do think it's a case. This is a 26 billion dollar company. This is not a coronavirus story. I mean, this is a, a major move to the cloud, recurring, re recurring revenue, uh, platform dynamic, which is exactly where 
investors are, are, are putting their money and giving multiples to companies. So, yeah, it is coronavirus, but, yeah, I, I think this is a very real story. 43% short interest, 105. The level Tony just talked about was the all-time high, I think, last June. It probably heads there in earnings given the short interest. And the zip code for Zoom was like 03164 or something. 02134. Yeah, it was a lousy show, though. Out of Massachusetts, oh, I two, one, three, four. They were Not a lot of Anybody like buying Zoom? No. Yes, into earnings. Yes, you stay with it. Tony Zhang is right. You stay with it into earnings. Tony Zhang is right, guys. Thank you very much. For more options action, always tune in to the full show Fridays, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, your final trade. Oh, two, one, three, four. All right, welcome back. Restoration Hardware getting another boost from Warren Buffett and the gang over at Berkshire Hathaway. That stock topping the tape and jumping to new all-time highs after Buffett's Berkshire upped its stake in the home retailer. Guy, yes, sir. your take on RH. I think it continues to go higher, and this is not in a vacuum. We talked about this late summer, early fall, when Mr. Buffett announced this stock was trading, I think, 175 or so. And we said, look, you think this is a huge valuation company? It's not. Even with the move we've seen, it only trades around 19 times next year's numbers. It's cheap when you look at their earnings growth. Margins have been improving. I think it continues to go higher in the earnings in March. Again, we've been talking about it for a while. I think you stay with RH. So I, I can't disagree with the fundamental part of this, but this thing has been on an absolute tear. So to me, the way I trade something like this, where it's straight up and you've got news that Buffett's buying it, you start trimming a third at a time. Take a third off here, see how it trades, maybe take another third off. But at some point, this thing is just too, gone too straight up. Well, it's a case where if you look at the, the other kind of housing trades that I think are, are emblematic of what's been going on, not just in, in housing stocks, but again, Sherwin-Williams, uh, if you look at some of the other names that are ways to play uh, furnishings in the home, I think this is why this multiple continues to move higher. So uh, people are not necessarily buying new homes. They are fixing up the ones they have. It's not quite a fix-up. It's very expensive furniture, yes. um, but, but people have that kind of equity in their homes, and they're spending it. The thing that's interesting to me, obviously, the chart is crazy. I, I feel stupid for not owning it when I thought it was a lot cheaper. But the short interest here makes it really dangerous as well. I mean, this is still, I mean, it's a battleground stock, sort of. And yep. so I don't want to get into it. But do you buy thing. it just in the back of Berkshire? And I don't want to say Warren, because no. we said it could right. be Todd Combs or somebody else there. Do you buy it just because Berkshire's buying it? No. Again? no. But that wasn't that. that was, I mean, that wasn't the catalyst when we talked about it. I mean, we've been a name we have been talking about. It. I'm not saying I am not suggesting Mr. Buffett or any of his minions got in on the back of a fast money recommendation. <laughs> but it's a name we've been talking about for Although a while. They are big and, fans of the show. They're huge fans yeah. of the show, as it turns out. But they're sitting around right now going, do we buy it just because Guy and Tim said you should? Maybe they already it? did. <laughs> they're wise guy. It's not, not being totally serious. By the way, the cloud sofas. Yeah. You ever sat in one? Oh, you know what it feels you like? You can't even get out. I mean, there's something you know like? hard. Right. Brian? Like you're sitting in the clouds. Have you ever done that? No. All right. It's time for your final trades. Let's go around the horn. Mr. Cloud, Tim Seymour, what do you got? Well, Platinum has been trading in the stratosphere. And I think if you have both the, the PGM trade, precious metals trade, and you also have an industrial trade, I do think you can stay in this trade. PPLT is an ETF that allows you to do that. Uh, your name there. All right. Thanks, Tim. BK. Yeah, I'm going to stick in the metal space as well. Not GDX, but GDXJ, which is the junior miners. These are the ones that I actually think are takeout candidates by the bigger players. Okay. GDXJ. Yes. GDXJ. No. I don't know what a junior miner is. I guess uh, I, I, one day to adult. It's like a junior <laughs> mint, but I like Baba. I mean, I, I obviously coronavirus, but I think that creates an opportunity here, and ultimately, I think it's actually cheap. A name we have mentioned from time to time, Gardner Denver GDI. Where is it? 
Milwaukee. Milwaukee. <laughs> Thanks for watching. Now with Jim starts tonight, or now. We'll see you tomorrow. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.